0: Chapter 1 and verses 9 to 12, and you can find it on page 1182 of the Church Bibles. Page 1182, Colossians chapter 1, commencing at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This is the word of the Lord.
1: reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 8 to 14, and it's on page 1082 of the Church Bible, or on the screen behind me. John chapter 14, starting at verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father." You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen. Uh, Just before I speak, I'd just like to pray, and then uh, we will open up a little bit of God's word from the first reading. Father, just pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear, Lord. Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit. Uh, to lead us into a deeper knowledge of you, and to give us all more spiritual wisdom and understanding to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, some of you were here this morning, so you're just going to be disappointed. I hope not too much, because I'm going to say, broadly speaking, maybe slightly differently, what I said this morning. All right. It's the same portion of Scripture. We're going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. Okay. So, uh, as I introduced it this morning, from my accent, most of you will pick up the fact that I'm an Irishman. And like most Irishmen, you know, we're academically challenged from time to time. And Paul's not the easiest person to always understand. That's the man who wrote this letter that we're going to look at a wee bit of today. But uh, it reminds me of a story of the Irishman who came across to England as a road painter. And uh, you know, those white lines in the middle of the road, the traffic goes on either side off, that was his job, to paint those. So he started on the first day and he has his brush and his can of paint, and away he goes, And he pains six miles of lines. Pretty good, eh? Next day he starts again, three miles. Third day, one mile. And his boss comes and sees him and tells him, look, hey, how come you started so well and you're down to a mile a day now? And the Irishman looks at him and says, well, hey, that's been worrying me. But you know, that can just keep keep getting further away each day. (laughs) Eh? I want you to remember that, Khan, okay? Because I'm going to come back to it when we talk a little bit about this passage of Scripture. Uh, And I also want just to say a few things about this passage and about, indeed, uh, the context it's in before we look at it a little bit more. It's Colossians. So, okay, Colossians. Colossians lived in a city called Colossae, It was in what we call modern-day Turkey. Uh, And it's a letter. It's a letter. And the man who wrote it, Paul, had met Jesus Christ, and there were certain things on his mind. He was an apostle, someone who had a mission to plant churches. But you know what? He'd never been to Colossae when he wrote this letter. And most people think he actually never went to Colossae. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1 in this letter, uh, he actually says... And that, just at the end of the verse, uh, he's addressing it, for all who have not met me personally. That's what he's saying. He hasn't met these people, but he's writing them a letter because some of the people who uh, were Paul's friends and fellow teachers of God's word had been to Colossae and they'd started a Christian church there. And this letter is to people who are Christians. So it's a letter, It's to people who Paul had never met, and it's to people who were followers of Jesus Christ. Paul had heard that they were a people in that church who had faith and who had love. And Paul warmed to that. He also knew in this particular church at this time, there was some teaching beginning that was taking people's eyes away from who Jesus Christ was. They'd heard the gospel. They knew the truth. But some people were saying, hey, there's actually more. Jesus is, yeah, important. But actually, you know, there's other things that can be revealed to us that are also going to make us closer to God Jesus is one of them but there's other things too and Paul wrote this letter to say whoa whoa Uh uh-uh there is one gospel here it is I hope most of you know what it is it's this God loves you take a grip of that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and for me too because if he hadn't done that, you weren't going to get close to God. He died because there was a barrier between us and God, because of the wrong things in our lives. Jesus took that punishment on himself. And after Jesus died, three days later, he rose again from the dead. And he showed very clearly that in a wonderful, mysterious way that we Say, but in our human understanding, incredibly complex and difficult to understand, and we never fully will, Jesus Christ, the man, is also God Almighty. The Father, the Son, and the third person, the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. There is nothing else. There is nothing to be added. There is no secret other way. Jesus said in the letter of John, or the gospel of John, and I read a little bit about John, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not Muhammad. Sorry if I offend anyone. Not the Lord Buddha. Nobody else. Just me. That's Jesus, not, not me, Joss McKeon. That's the Lord Jesus, okay? That, that's what he says. And you either got to grasp that or, or not. But that's find it, and Jesus said that because he loved us. And Paul is praying here. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Because Paul says in verse 9 of this passage, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Paul prayed continually for them, not every second of every day, but certainly every day he would have prayed for this church. And what did he pray? He wanted them to be filled with the knowledge uh, of his will, God's will, and that through all spiritual wisdom, wisdom and understanding. Remember, this was in the context that there was this strange teaching coming in, He wanted them to know that God's will was this. He loved them. God loved them. He loves us. And he sent Jesus to die for them. And it says in the book of Timothy that God's will is that no one should perish. All should be saved. God loves people. He wants us all to have a saving relationship with him in Christ. And Paul was passionate about this. And he wanted the people... Because spiritual wisdom and knowledge in this, it's almost like he's saying, get back to first principles. And first principles are Jesus Christ. He goes on later in this letter to give one of the most wonderful descriptions of exactly who Jesus Christ is. Later in this chapter, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, for in in him everything might have the supremacy in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. We heard that in that other little reading I read from John. Yeah. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he wanted the Colossians to grasp this. He wanted them to really grasp it. Because he goes on to say, you see, that he wants them to have the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. This was not just a head knowledge. He wanted it to be a heart knowledge. He wanted it to be a knowledge and a wisdom and an understanding that changed their lives. Because his life had been changed. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He presided over the murder of Christians. He was there as a witness of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And he'd been changed because he'd met Jesus And he wanted people so desperately to grasp the love of Christ in a radical, real way that would change them. That's the first challenge. Has Jesus Christ changed you? As I prepared that, I had to ask, Lord, have you changed me? We should want that if we love him. And this is about love. Over the last three weeks, about prayer, we've heard about wisdom and knowledge. We've heard about hope. We've heard about love. But, but all of this stems from the love of God for us. Now I am going to talk about good works because that's what I've been asked to talk about. And Paul goes on in saying that, look, uh, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. That's one of the evidences of change that we bear fruit in every good work. Now, let me make it very clear. Good works, nor anything else that we do, does not get us right with God. Jesus did that for us. We can't do anything except, except what Jesus Christ did for us. Says, Paul wrote it in his letter to the Ephesians, that By grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a free gift. He goes on to talk about works that God has prepared for us to do in advance. And each one of us, God has works to do. But works don't get us saved. Jesus did that. Works are an evidence of salvation. Christians. It's like a love relationship. A child for its parents, a parents for its children, a man for a woman. When you love someone, you want to do things to make them happy and please them. And that's what this is about. If we love the Lord, we will want to do things to please him. That's what he's saying. You know, there's a whole book of the Bible. Uh, it doesn't, in every single bit of it, talk about works. But, but it really says, you know, this business about Jesus loving us, God loving us and sending Jesus and, and works, they're not an either and or. Okay, you have to have both. And this is from uh, the book of James. And I'm going to read it from the message. It says this. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend, dressed in rags and half starved, and you say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Faith without works is dead. You need the faith. You need the faith in what God has done in his saving work through Jesus, but that needs to be evidenced. I want to say something else about these good works that Paul talks about here. Uh, We tend to think of good works as and they are good works. You know, giving money to charity. Helping people. Taking old ladies across a road. And, and that's all part of it. But Paul here talks in the present continuous sense when he talks about good works bearing fruit. And, and he means everything. Let, let me just explain that. He means Everything. You heard that? Everything. From when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed, to bed at night, everything you do, all your thoughts captured and given to God, and becoming glorifying in good works for the Lord. I'm going to read another bit from Paul's letter to Romans, because funny enough, he wrote letters to lots of churches, and very often the same things keep coming up again and again. Uh, that shouldn't surprise us because, you know, people's people. doesn't matter where they are, what culture, what race. Hey, we all need to hear these things uh, again and again. So here it is. This is how he says it. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Yes, you heard it right. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, And walking around life. That's where you're going to do your good works. Paul, in this letter to the Colossians in chapter 3, says this He says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, you pray. You cook, you wash your clothes, you greet people, you do your everyday work for those who are still in employment, but even if you're not, you do 101 things in the day, and you gotta do all of that with the right attitude as good works to glorify God. You know, that's impossible. God knows that. That's the good news. He knows that we can't do that unless we do it in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus. Hey, what does it say up there? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's what it's about. Jesus himself talks about it uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, And that we joke about the can. Hey, you've got to be close to the can to do your work. Okay, Jesus said, if a man remains in me, or a woman, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man or a woman remains in me, and I in them, they're going to bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You've got to stay close to Christ. In fact, so close that he's a part of you and you're a part of him. Otherwise, you're going to get nowhere. I've been trying, not quite for 60 years, for 51 of my 60 years. And and I'm still trying. My wife would say, trying in many ways, Joss. But I I, am still learning to rest in Christ, to trust in him, to produce the fruit in me. Because he loves me, strange as it may be. There are times I forget that, and I need to be brought back to grasping that in my heart as well as in my head. And the devil wants to rob us of that. You've got to really, really grasp that. He loves us. And because of that, we will want to reciprocate. He doesn't need us to, but it's a natural part of the growing in Christ. You know, Scripture does talk about good works in many ways. Uh, Jesus was asked what the work of God was. Again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 29, you can read it. Uh, And he says this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In other words, believe in Jesus. Okay. When Jesus said, believe in the one he sent, he didn't just mean believe it in here. He meant all of you and all of you believing and turning to Christ And having Christ indwelling us in the power of the Holy Spirit means we will be changed to become Christ like and we will do the good works that Jesus Himself did. (laughs) Scripture talks about being grounded in Christ, it talks from the very first about the God like character that Jesus has. And it's very, very clear all the way through from the Old Testament. You read Leviticus. Leviticus gets a big maligning now in some Christian quarters. Read it and put it in its context and what it says. You know, it actually tells us in Leviticus, way back then, love your neighbor. It actually says it in Leviticus. I think it's Leviticus chapter 8 or chapter 9. So it's not a new or an early thing. That's what God always wanted. Jesus himself gives us his great commands. Hey, what are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your mind. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. It's Leviticus chapter 9, in fact, sorry, 19. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Don't seek revenge or bear a a grudge against your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. James, I've already talked about James. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Galatians, another letter that Paul wrote, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians. I'm going to read this from the message. This is, uh, I read scripture other than just uh, the message, but sometimes this just, the way it hits me, just brings it out a little bit new. And it says this in chapter five, hey, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly, what God does is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Practically, what does it mean? Again, the Old Testament. Micah, what's required of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Proverbs, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I said it this morning, and it was almost becoming political. Forgive me, I'm going to say it again. Do we remember that when we go and put our X on a ballot paper? Do the politicians across all parties think that, even though it exists? Many politicians would say, but of course we do that. But that's, that's, a, that's a real question that Scripture asks of our leaders and of us holding our leaders to account. That's a good work. That is a good work. Do we hold people to account for speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves, for speaking up and judging fairly, for defending the rights of the poor and needy? Go and ask the people in Calais that. Is that what our nation does? Is that what we do as individuals? Because it also starts with us. Each single person here. Me included. Hebrews. Don't forget to do good. Share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Romans 12. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Timothy. Timothy talking about widows but it has a wider application. He talks about good deeds, good work. You know what the first thing is that he talks about in 1 Timothy uh, 5 verse 9? Bringing up children. That's a good work. Showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble. Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience galatians again don't grow weary in doing good as we have opportunity let us do good to all people but especially to those who belong to the family of believers hey that's good works and it's love but but you know it's actually more than that and again going to read this little bit from the message. This is a bit that many of you will know so well, uh, and it's from the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking, not to unbelievers, but to his disciples. And he says this, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? you've lost your usefulness, and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand... Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. And by opening up, you'll prompt people to open up with God, the generous Father in heaven. How we lead our everyday, sleeping, waking, working lives can point people to God. He doesn't need us to do it, but in His grace and mercy, he works through us to show people himself and the Lord Jesus. That's what good works are ultimately all about. Glorifying our Heavenly Father and leading lives that glorify him. Just coming back to this specific passage that we've looked at in Colossians and Paul's prayer, I've already said... Now, we don't have a chance of doing that. And Paul goes on to pray that they'll bear fruit in every good work, that they grow in the knowledge of God. Because as we develop Christ-like characters, as we come closer to the Father, we're going to get to know what he wants us to do more. We can do that in lots of ways, by spending time praying, reading the Scripture with other Christians, and, and just just doing what he wants us to do. But he says, Paul prays that we will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. We can do all things through him, not of ourselves. And he prays, you know, because he knows what people are like, Paul, that we would have great endurance and patience. He knows this is not an easy thing. He knows we need to endure and be patient. That was not idle words from Paul. When he wrote this letter, he was in chains. Tells us that later in the letter. He was in prison. He needed patience and endurance with people. We do as well. And it's the patience and endurance that God has with us because he loves us. That comes first. And and also that we would be joyful. You know, it's one thing to have patience and endurance, but unless we're joyful and people really see that despite the circumstances that there is a joy, then it doesn't really work. Please, please, there's a time to be sad. I'm not superficially happy and here, everything's great all the time. Life's not like that, and God knows that. But we have to have a joy. And Paul goes on to tell us why we have to have that joy. It's dead simple. Because we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you, us, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We're going to be part, we're already part of the kingdom And he goes on, and we didn't read it tonight, which is a shame, but verses 13 and 14, it comes back to putting this right in the context that Paul wrote it in. Because here's the basics that everything starts and stops with, the alpha and the omega. Here it is. Here it is to this church in Colossae who were just going away a wee bit maybe. Here it is. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. There isn't any other. There isn't. And we need to grasp it. We need to grasp it. Let's just finish with a prayer. Father God, we just thank you for your wonderful gospel, that you love us, Lord, that you have picked us up and you've brought us back into relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, Lord. We thank you for that love. We thank you, Father, that you know That without the Lord Jesus living in us and the strength of his Holy Spirit, we're not going to live the way you want us to, Lord. So we just thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. We just pray for that endurance and patience and joy solidly based on the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and on his kingdom now and to come. We praise you that we have that glorious inheritance in him. In his name, amen.